Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Jeremy Renner returns to Paramount Plus for a brand new season of the original hit series, Mayor of Kingstown. My job is to create a balance, avoid a war. From executive producer Taylor Sheridan, co-creator of Yellowstone. There's some new players in town, and they brought the flag. And Antoine Fuqua, director of Training Day. I know it's always been a war zone, Mike, but this is next level. The mayor is back in business. Are you warning me? You don't want to find out. Mayor of Kingstown. New season streaming June 2nd, exclusively on Paramount+. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch crushing! Deep left field! This is Walk Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. Is second base a good position this year? I'm not so sure. Welcome in to Fantasy Baseball Today. Frank, Scott, and Chris here on Wednesday, February 7th. Today on the show, it's our second base preview. We've got strategy talk, ADP, sleepers, breakouts, busts, our favorite second baseman to draft, and much more. So I made the rundown before deep diving all the second basemen. And at first glance, I wrote, this is a pretty strong and deep position. After researching all the players, I don't feel the same. Scott, how do you feel about second base? I would call it deep. Uh, it, it doesn't have it doesn't have like a lot of reliable options, but it has a lot of a lot of options that deserve to start. And I find it's a position where I tend to wait a lot because I'm not especially high on any of those options in particular, uh, and I'm not especially low on any of those options in particular. So I kind of just from a very large middle tier, I take the the last remaining who I think meets my needs. And, and and I phrase it that way, I think meets my needs because I think the way that second base stands out most from the other positions this year is just in the variety of players this offers. It, it offers, and of course, not an issue in points leagues where all the contributions are going in the same bucket, but in roto leagues and head-to-head categories leagues where you're you're looking to you know, you're kind of looking to balance out the buckets, the batting average, home runs, stolen bases, et cetera. Second base is kind of the key position to doing that. Like I, I, mm-hmm. I like to go into these drafts without much of a plan at second base because I know that in the middle of the draft, when it's deep, where it's deepest, where second base is the deepest, I'm going to find specialists in all of those areas and I can just take whichever one best meets the needs mm-hmm. of the, the, the build I'm having. So if I need stolen bases, I can go for an Andres Jimenez or a Hassan Kim or a Bryson Stott. If I need home runs, I could go for a, a Cattell Marte or a Nolan Gorman even a little later. If I need batting average, obviously Luis Arise sitting right there to help with that. And uh, so that's that's... 
I, I think what makes second base special this year is it's like the ultimate pivot position in the middle of a, a categories league draft. Chris, you and I were talking beforehand, and at first glance, again, it's a lot of names that we remember being really good last year in fantasy, mm-hmm. and they were. Like, we can't take that away. But once I started deep diving a little bit, I, I just found that I had so many questions about all the players that I was looking at. How do you feel about second base this season? It's deep. But the depth is uh, trying to come up with like a good analogy, maybe like it's like a deep lake that's frozen over and you're not sure how thick the ice is when you're walking over it. I feel like I might be mixing metaphors here in some way, but like when you look at it, it's like, well, Mookie Betts. Okay, that guy's awesome. We, We know about him. Marcus Simeon and Jose Altive, also awesome. I think they're both 33 or 34. Ozzy Albies. Not really any questions about him. He, you know, there are, you could poke holes, but I think at this point he's proven himself. But then that whole like Nico Horner, Hashan Kim, Bryson Stott group is like, well, they were all awesome last year. None of them were really being drafted this time a year ago. And so that's not like Marcus Simeon was also once a mid career breakout. And those guys are all not super deep into their career. So It could be real, but you only have to look at Andres Jimenez, who was being drafted as a top 80 pick or 82 pick, I think, last year. And now he's going, what, 40, 60 picks later to see that not every young player's apparent breakout sticks. And and that is, I think, the thing with second base is like it appears deep, but it requires a lot of guys to either overcome aging trends or prove themselves a second time to, to cement it as a deep position. To use your own example against you though, Andres Jimenez did have 15 homers and 30 steals last year. Mm -hmm. It wasn't as good as the year before. He didn't quite live up to his draft position, but he was overdrafted last year. And I, a lot of the guys you're expressing concerns over aren't, aren't being drafted nearly that high. Yeah. That's fair. And to that point, I mean, I think Jimenez is a great example of it feels like there's a handful of these players at second base that provide a similar skill set, right? Mm-hmm. 12 to 15 home runs, 25 plus stolen bases, a batting average that doesn't kill you, uh, which kind of makes me feel like maybe this position is better in a roto or a categories league. But we could talk about that as we go through the players. Let's start with ADP. And we, again, we'll be using Fantasy Pros ADP, which incorporates five different websites, ESPN, Yahoo, CBS, RT Sports, and the NFBC. We are going to cheat a little bit because I think most people are going to use Mookie Betts in the outfield for fantasy, but let's include him here in our second base preview. That's right, Mookie Betts, second base eligibility. His ADP is 4.2, currently the second player drafted behind Ronald Acuna on average. You won't see that in every draft, but I think it kind of changes depending on whether you play head-to-head points or in a Roto League this year. Mookie Betts, elite regardless of format, finished top four overall in Roto, was a top four hitter in head-to-head points, has set career highs in home runs two years in a row, hit 35 in 2022, 39 home runs last year. He went to driveline last offseason and unlocked a new level. We see that in the average exit velocity, 92.4 miles per hour last year. He's going to chip in his usual 12 to 15 steals. The question, Scott, is where do you think the batting average will wind up for Mookie Betts? Because last year, he got up over 300, 307 batting average, two years prior, 269 and 264. I think that's an interesting question when trying to figure out how to project Mookie Betts here in 2024. 
You know, it's it's probably not going to be 307 again. I would bet on it being in the 270 range probably, just looking at his recent track record. And I'm not holding that against him. You know, it's 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 funny because he's he's become less of a batting average standout than he was in, in his prime, and he's become certainly less of a stolen base standout now. You're betting against him giving you even 15 steals. But he's still maintained his value in fantasy because he went to the Dodgers and he bats leadoff for the Dodgers, and so he scores a zillion runs. He he is a standout in the run and RBI category, like like his teammate Freddie Freeman is, and um, and yes, now there is the addition of outfield becoming a stunted position, and him being one of nine or so first round caliber players there, but then with a very steep drop mm-hmm. off, so that th- there's added incentive to use your first round pick on one of them. Yeah, I think Betts is is very safe. He's not going to be, I wouldn't call him a five-category stud. I think he's a three-category stud and won't hurt you in the other two, the other two being batting average and stolen bases. Scoring a zillion runs is exactly right, Scott. Mookie Betts, in five of his eight full seasons, has scored at least 117 runs. That is amazing. Chris, we don't have to spend too much time on this, but real quick, where would you draft Mookie Betts in head-to-head points versus in a Roto Categories League? I believe he is my number two player in head-to-head points, and in Roto, he is five, I want to say, and it, four. Yeah, so that, I, yeah. That's exactly, what I, that's exactly what I have. Second in head-to-head points, fourth in... Oh, in sorry, head-to-head. I have sixth in Roto. Second in head-to-head points, sixth in Roto. I, I do have Fernando Tatis ahead of him, but... And you also have Corbin Carroll, which Frank doesn't. Yes. Yep, that's exactly right. Before we get on to Ozzy Albies, just a uh, reminder that the Super Bowl is here. Super Bowl week is here. Stream wall-to-wall coverage with our CBS Sports HQ team of hosts, insiders, and analysts as they tackle the biggest storylines, interview the game's brightest stars, and keep you up to date with the latest betting odds and much more leading up to the best Sunday of the year. That's right, the 49ers taking on the Chiefs this Sunday. Let's get on to Ozzy Albies here, who has, uh, well, Ozzy Albies and Marcus Semien. You look at ADP right around the 2-3 turn in a 12-team league. Ozzy Albies, the ADP is 24.2, the number two second baseman off the board. He has finished as a top 16 player in each of his last two healthy seasons, 2021 and 2023. He hit 280 with career highs in home runs, 33, and RBI, 109. If you're wondering how somebody like Ozzy Albies uh, hits as many home runs as he does, despite the quality of contact, um, it's because of this pull-happy revolution Mm -hmm. that we're going to talk about a lot today at the second base position. Uh, He also took the next step in terms of plate discipline. He lowered his strikeout rate to 16.2%. And that was backed by a career-high zone contact rate. Chris, I don't see any reason not to expect 25 to 30 homers, 12 mm-hmm. to 15 steals, and gaudy counting stats in uh, Ozzy Albies' age 27 season. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is he's not as safe a bet to hit for batting average as you might think, given how much contact he makes, because he does have to sacrifice you know, some batting average or, or more specifically Babbitt skills to maximize his power. However, that being said, he did have his best season last year as a left-handed hitter. He's always done a disproportionate amount of his damage against left-handed pitching. Last season, it was much closer to even. And 
if that is a skill that he can sustain, if he can be, you know, I think his OPS against uh, righties was more in the 800 range last season. If that becomes sustainable, I think it makes Ozzy Albee's whole profile one just look a lot better, but also uh, I think it'll probably take out some of the inconsistencies from his profile, especially in terms of batting average. So yeah, he had an 803 OPS against lefties or against righties, 1023 against uh, lefties, and and so he crushes lefties. But if he can be pretty good against righties, as opposed to just kind of keeping his head above water like he usually is. I think it does make the profile not necessarily much better because we've seen similar seasons, but I think just makes it a little more projectable. Mm-hmm. A little bit safer there for Ozzy Albies. I noticed the same thing with the splits for years. I wonder if he would just be better off batting as a right-handed hitter instead of a yeah. switch hitter, but uh, look, he made those gains last year. We'll see if it can last. Marcus Semien going around the same range, 24.6 is the ADP, the number three second baseman off the board. Over the past three seasons... Marcus Semien has finished as a top 25 overall player each year, has missed one game during that span. He's ninth in home runs, second in run scored, first in plate appearances. Semien is the volume play in fantasy. 724 plus plate appearances each of the past three seasons. He leads off for one of the best lineups in baseball. Like Albies, Semien does not hit the ball hard, but... You guessed it. 26 of his 29 home runs went to the pull side. Scott, Semyon's getting up there in age. He's 33 years old. And eventually, he's not going to be a volume play. But I don't really see anything that says he won't be in 2024. Mm-hmm. Maybe it just comes out of nowhere. But everything kind of is still intact in, intact here for Semyon uh, in his age 33 season. I don't see any reason beyond just, well, he's another year older to think... Marcus Simeon's going to fall off. I kind of have trouble talking about him. I kind of have trouble talking about Simeon and Albies both without bringing Jose Altuve into the mm-hmm. conversation. So I'm going to go ahead and do that now uh, and just keep this sh- keep this preview moving right along. Because Altuve is the one I actually rank the highest of the three. I think those three have a, are a very clear tier mm-hmm. of elite second baseman. You know, you got Mookie Betts, the first rounder, kind of doing his own thing. But then you have Altuve, Albies, and Simeon as a very clear tier of elite second baseman. And I I get why Altuve is going the latest of the three because he's had he has an injury history while the other two are Ironmen. But of course, most of the time Altuve missed last year was a broken thumb in the World Baseball Classic, and that's not really something you expect to happen again. And, you know, just in terms of what they bring to the table. I mean, Altuve is clearly the best source of batting average of the three. He's probably the best source of power, pretty close with Albies. He's probably the best source of stolen bases, pretty close with uh, Simeon. Um, Albies and Simeon probably going to have more RBI, but Altuve batting at the top of the Astros lineup obviously scores a ton of runs. If we just put it into head-to-head points perspective, because it's easier to kind of sum up a player's overall production that way, Altuve, 3.94 points per game last year. Uh, Albies and Simeon were both 3.6-something. So on a per-game basis, it, it really showed there, uh, Altuve being better than those other two. Ultimately, this group of second basemen, if they're there in like the middle to late range of round three, I'm probably taking one of them. I'm taking him over Gunnar Henderson, 
taking him over Bo Bichette. Uh, it's it it's nice. It would be great to get one of those few elite options at the position and not have to worry about what to do at, at it the rest of the draft. There's a chance I might take one of them early in in round three too. But sometimes early in round three, you get like Francisco Lindor still mm-hmm. out there, Rafael Devers is still out there, and I can't I can't justify uh, any of the second baseman over them. But if it's you know mid to late round three range if, if any of them is there i'm probably taking them they're they're all kind of the same guy like they do different versions of it but like they're all kind of pulling the same trick right like if you look at expected woba they all kind of look mediocre none of these guys, altuve semi and albies none of these guys looks like a particularly special player but they're all they all have their swing very well optimized to take advantage of the middling raw power that they all have honestly middling might be generous for all three of them certainly all be from the right side probably i would say above average pop but everyone else i would say middling or below but they're well optimized they've all got good plate discipline they get on base they'll steal a handful of bases but not really be huge standouts there although you know altuve's pace last year was closer to like 22 steals because uh, I think he stole 14 in like 110 games or whatever it was. So if you want to give Albies the edge because he's five or six years younger than the other two guys, I think that's perfectly reasonable. If you want to give Altuve the edge because of the stolen bases, I think that's reasonable as well. He's batting average more than stolen. batting average as well. If, if you want to give Simeon the edge just because, I mean, four out of five years, he's been a top 25 player, even though people keep expecting him not to do it again. I I really, I don't think you can really go wrong with any order of them. I have Albies just ahead, just because both Altuve and Semyon are in the age range where a sudden drop-off wouldn't be surprising. And, you know, they're they both might have skill sets that leave them with relatively slim margins for error because of their, their lacking pop. But I have no, I have no tangible concerns about any of them. I I do think it's part of the reason why I say that second base is deep, but maybe a little flimsy is just three of the top four are 31 or older this year. So like, you know, but at least two of the three and, and honestly, Simeon might be playing his way into this conversation. Hall of Famers age differently. And Mookie Betts and Jose Altuve are Hall of Famers. Maybe Jose Altuve doesn't end up getting in for reasons beyond his play, but like you should expect those guys to continue aging differently than everyone else. And it looks like the Astros believe Altuve is a Hall of Famer too because they just gave him a massive extension, five years, $125 million for a guy that turns 34 years old in May. So... They still have faith in the player. I have faith in the player. Uh, if you look at, you factor in at least one IL stint per year because Altuve mm-hmm. has missed time the past couple of years. His 140 game pace over the past three years, 294 batting average, 28 homers, 109 runs, 70 RBI, 13 steals. That's a really good player. In a mm-hmm. points league, I'm taking Altuve at the top of that group. Roto, I might lean with Ozzy Albies just because he's a little bit younger. I think... Better all-around production. The RBI, I don't think, are going to be very good for Altuve, but I mm-hmm. feel better about that for Ozzy Albies. 
I, I really like all four of these names. I'd be happy to get any of them in, in the first three rounds of drafts. Batting behind Ronald Acuna is is great for <laughs> your RBI production. And then you're batting ahead of Austin Riley and Matt Olson, which is yeah. nice too. Yeah. To kind of to put a bow on what I was saying earlier about where I draft these guys, Altuve, Albi, Simeon, mid-late round three. If it doesn't work out for me to take them there, I'm not drafting a second yeah, baseman for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yep, and we're about to find out why after this break, once we get into uh, Nico Horner, right after this. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back in. Let's continue on with second base ADP. After Altuve, we drop down to the 5-6 turn in a 12-team league where we get Nico Horner and Matt McClain. Both players also have shortstop eligibility. Nico Horner, 59.4 is the ADP. He's the fifth second baseman off the board. Offers a very useful skill set. Hit 283 last year, 98 runs scored, 43 steals were the sixth most in baseball. He makes a ton of contact, just a 12% strikeout rate, which definitely helps in a points league as well. 3.4 fantasy points per game for Nico Horner. But he is a liability in both home runs and RBI. 19 mm-hmm. home runs total over the past two years, supported by a very lowly 2% barrel rate for Nico Horner. Scott, I think it takes a specific build to draft Horner in a Roto or a Categories League. I think if you take someone like Matt Olson or Pete Alonso or Adolis Garcia early on, it makes a lot of sense to take someone like Nico Horner. But outside mm-hmm. of that, it just feels like maybe you're doubling up on batting average or you're doubling up on a steel source and maybe leaving yourself vulnerable in some power stats. Yeah, I mean, what I was saying earlier, it, it takes a specific kind of build to draft probably every second baseman from this point forward. But Horner might be the most extreme example of that. I'm kind of surprised how high he finished in the overall Roto rankings, considering, okay, he was helpful in batting average. It's not like he was competing for a batting title. He mm-hmm. scored 98 runs, but he didn't score 110 runs, you know, it, it, it was just, and, and then obviously it was terrible in home runs and RBI. It, uh, 43 steals are nice. They're, they're good. They're among the league leaders, but they don't mean what they used to mean. I'd, I'd want to make a Whit Merrifield in his prime comparison here, except Whit Merrifield in his prime, those 40 stolen bases yeah. were much harder to find than they are uh, today with Horner. So I find that even though he might strike you as a roto specialist because of that gaudy steel total, I, I find I'm much more attracted to Horner in points leagues than I am in roto. To to give up that much in home runs as early in the draft as he's going, I think is really hard to make up for. Yeah, it's a 
I like the player. I don't love the price. It feels like a fairly slim margin for error. And and look, you can look at it both ways on, on Horner's steals in particular, because he's still 43, 86% success rate. That's really, really good. So it does suggest if he wanted to be more aggressive, there could be room for growth and he could push to 50. That's possible. I also wouldn't be surprised if there was some regression there. And, you know, the... The batting average, like you said, 283, very, very good, not elite. And I think what helps is, weirdly, he doesn't walk very much. And so he ended up with the, the second most at bats at the position, which helps that batting average help you out even more. But yeah, I end of the fifth round, you know, 60th overall, whatever the, the price is, it just, it feels a little too... It feels a little too steep for a guy who is so clearly useful, but limited. And Cubs fans, don't kill me, but as of February 7th, this lineup doesn't look very yeah, good. Right now, yeah. <laughs> if you look at roster resource, Mike Talkman, Nico Horner, Ian yeah. Happ, Seiya Suzuki, Dansby Swanson, Christopher Morell, Michael Bush, Jan Gomes, Nick Madrigal. Come on, man, Michael Bush. Maybe maybe they go out and bring back Bellinger. I know they've been linked to Matt Chapman. They've got to do something because I don't think this lineup is going to cut it. Let's continue on with Matt McClain. His ADP is 63.8, just behind Nico Horner, the sixth second baseman off the board. A breakout season for McClain that saw him hit 28 homers and 24 steals in the minors and majors combined. He has the prospect pedigree, was a first-round pick back in 2021, the 17th overall pick. But there are some concerns. We do have some iffy plate discipline, including a 28.5% K rate that got worse in the second half. And StatCast says that McLean overperformed by quite a bit. Now, maybe he can continue to do that because he plays in one of the best ballparks in baseball in Cincinnati. So we have seen some players kind of outperform what they were expected to do because that ballpark is so good. Chris, what do you make of Matt McLean just outside the top 60 in ADP? Another one where I just I can't really justify the price. And look, I, I think the thing with the Reds, and we talked about this a little bit yesterday when we got to Christian Encarnacion Strand, but it feels like there are like seven guys on this team who, if everything breaks right, you know, maybe Matt McClain's ceiling is higher than Christian Encarnacion Strand's. Like he might be a top 25 player if everything breaks right. But they're all talented. I also think Matt McClain, like the floor is he strikes out 32% of the time in April and gets sent back down. Now there are reasons to think that he is at less risk of that than Noel V Marte or someone like that, because you know, Matt McClain does appear to have a more settled defensive home up the middle, but yeah, I mean the quality of contact stats <coughs> sort of middling last season, not bad, but just, like X slug 60th percentile, X Woba 58th percentile. Uh, quality or the strikeout rate 29%. I think he was like 27th percentile in in zone contact rate, his chase rate, or his overall swing rate, like his plate discipline, his swing decisions weren't great. He was, I think, bordered on passive at times and, and left a lot of hittable pitches out there. And so if it was 20 picks cheaper, I think I could get on board with it a little easier, but it just it, it's taking on an awful lot of risk there for a guy who I don't think is a sure thing. I, I want to address 
Matt McLean and, and Nico Horner as, as a group here, kind of like I did with Altuve, Albies, and Simeon, because by ADP, Horner and McLean look like their own tier. Mm-hmm. And on the one hand, I kind of expect it. Just, I mean, on the one hand, I kind of understand it because if, if you just look at head-to-head points per game production, uh, McLean last year was 3.41. Nico Horner was 3.36. That's much closer to Simeon and Albies than it is to like the Ha-Sung Kim, Bryson Stott types. But you got Nico Horner, which as we already covered is just a difficult set of skills to work into a typical roto build and you've got matt mcclain who okay great maybe maybe he can do 3.41 points per game again maybe he's another one of these magical second basemen which you know altuve albies and Simeon all are where we look at the the exit velocity readings and we're like oh, how, how are they this good but they but managed to be that good but I don't think I don't think Matt McLean's cost accounts for the downside risk, mm-hmm. which yeah, as the year went on, that strikeout rate got closer to thirty percent. And usually you can only overcome a thirty percent strikeout rate if you make extremely hard contact, which Matt McLean doesn't do, as I already mentioned. I think also, of, I think part of the the thinking behind maybe he's just a magical creation is at AAA Louisville last year, prior to his call-up, his numbers were ridiculous there as well. 340 mm-hmm. with an 1154 OPS in those 40 games. But assessing him on what I know to assess him on with the little bit of a career he's had so far, McLean, the safe money says he's not going to be this good next year. Yeah, and the, the other thing I'll add on McLean is unlike Albies and Altuve and, and Simeon, who for one thing have just done it for long enough that it's like they're doing something that overcomes their quality of contact. And we can say that with a lot of certainty because they've done it for so long. McLean is a small sample size. Yes. He's in a good park does not pull the ball very often. I think his pull rate was 28% last season. So, you know, you look at the spray chart and it's like, there's a decent amount of opposite field home runs, actually more opposite field home runs than pull side home runs. And so, that's not a bad thing. It just, if you want to optimize and his quality of contact metrics are better than those other guys. So he can just overcome it that way. But if you want to optimize for power specifically, that's not the swing to do it with. He's a tough one. Matt McLean is a tough one. Indeed. I I did want to point out, like you just said, Chris, I mean, a 10.8% barrel rate for a second baseman is actually pretty good. I Mm -hmm. mean, in the grand scheme compared to other sluggers, it's not great. But at second base, it is good. 90th percentile sprint speed does support the speed as well. I think based on the minor league profile, the plate discipline will improve. Like He walked more and struck out a lot less last year in in AAA. So I would expect that to hopefully progress here in 2024. He's a tough one. I want to be in, but like, yeah, it's it's a pretty big price tag here for Matt McClain. After him, we drop down two to three rounds where we get Ha-Sung Kim and Glaber Torres. Ha-Sung Kim has second base shortstop and third base eligibility. His ADP is 85.4 as the uh, seventh second baseman off the board. A breakout season for Kim where he hit 17 home runs with 38 steals, finished as a top 70 overall player in Roto. Strong plate discipline definitely helped him. In head-to-head points, he had a 12% walk rate and just a 20% strikeout rate. Uh, does not hit the ball hard at all, but another pull-heavy approach. 45% pull rate, 15 of his 17 home runs went to left field for Ha-Sung Kim. 
Uh, I don't find myself targeting him because, A, he had huge splits. He was awesome mm-hmm. against lefties. Really not great at 682 OPS against right-handed pitching. Uh, and I think you can get similar skill sets from guys like Bryson Stott and Andres Jimenez who are going 30 to 40 picks later. Chris, what do you think about Hassan Kim? I'm writing my position previews this week or over the last week or so on CBSSports.com. You should check them out. They're great. Scott's also doing very good stuff with his position strategies pieces. Very good stuff. Check it out. Subscribe to the Fantasy Baseball Today newsletter. Okay, we got all the boxes checked. I'm running out of ways because Hasun Kim is eligible at so many positions. I'm running out of different ways to say I don't want to draft him because I don't want to just like copy and paste. But I and I don't want to pick him as my bust for every position, even though he's probably the player I'm least likely to draft at second base, third base, and shortstop relative to his price. I just I don't buy it. Um, he's fast, but he's not blazing fast to to justify. You know, thinking that he's a 40 steal guy. He had 12 steals the previous year. Uh, he wasn't as efficient as a base stealer as Nico Horner in the way that you could think there might be room to grow uh, or sustain it. I don't buy the the offensive skill set as a hitter at all, even with the pull heavy stuff. I mean, we talk about like, oh, Jose Altuve outruns his skill set. Yeah, Jose Altuve outruns like a 330 expected Woba. Hasser and Kim had a 313 expected Woba. It was 309 the year before. He'd never really, in the two seasons prior, never really shown the ability to outperform his underlying stats. He didn't really start running as much until July. He was four or five steals in the first three months of the season each, and then eight, eight, and nine the fall the final three months, which kind of suggests like you know, the Padres were just like, well, we got to try something. Let's let's let him. So I I want nothing to do with the guy that jumped from 260th and ADP to 80th. I have a couple things to say here about Ha Sun Kim because I, I basically agree with what Chris is saying in terms of the skill set and the skepticism over the performance. And I think looking at his ADP here, he's he's the second baseman going after uh, Matt McLean. Doesn't. M- there's not a lot of justification for taking Hassan Kim when both Bryson Stott and mm-hmm. Andres Jimenez are still out there because I feel like their upside scenario is basically the same. Kim's might be a little lower. We may have just seen Kim's mm-hmm. upside scenario. But I find that in our own drafts, a lot of times Hassan Kim is the last available of those three. And I tend to take him. When that's the case, if, if I need stolen base help at that point mm-hmm. in the draft, I'm, I've been surprised by how often I've taken Haas on Kim. I, I think he's just kind of a trendy bus pick, and so if, if you're playing with a lot of savvy players, um, he won't go at this ADP. The other thing I want to say about Haas on Kim that distinguishes him from Bryson Stott and Andres Jimenez, and Chris already referred to it, he's eligible at a lot more positions. Mm-hmm. Those guys are second base only. A lot of times my need is bigger at shortstop at this point in the draft and Kim can fill that need. Those other two can't. So if I need steals and I need a shortstop uh, and, you know, obviously like O'Neill Cruz has to be gone. I, that's a given in our drafts. Then uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I, I, I included Hassan Kim in my busts 1.0. He's probably the clearest bus candidate at second base for me, but he's one of those bus candidates that I'm, I'm not totally allergic to drafting. 
yeah, it's not a bottom out for you, but to, probably more so overvalued just based on the ADP, right? I think there is bottom out potential. Don't oh, get right. me wrong. <laughs> or for all the reasons Chris mentioned, but I, I don't know. It's, it's this, this it, new environment that was introduced last year is so inviting for stolen bases mm-hmm. that to say, okay, Hassan Kim stole 38 last year. He had what, 12 the year before? 12, yeah. That's basically, <clears throat> that's basically meaningless to me. Sure. Because it's just, it's such a different environment. And like he went crazy as the year went on in stolen bases. He played 22 games in September, stole nine bases while reaching base at a 265 clip. <laughs> it was a horrible month for him. He just ran, he ran every time he reached base, basically. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And, 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 and so I, I think he and the Padres have discovered, I don't know, they just changed managers, right? So mm-hmm. I, that adds a wrinkle. But it, if nothing else, he has discovered that this is a way he can contribute to the team in this new environment. And I expect it to continue, even if I have doubts about the power production. I, I have more faith in the steals. Like, I, I think he's a pretty good bet for 30 plus. I, it's more just that, like, it might be 30 plus with just nothing else. Yeah. I mean, it comes down to how much you trust that pull heavy approach because he did the same thing as a lot of these other second basemen that we already mm-hmm. talked about and that we're going to continue to talk about. I mean, again, it's this is a constant theme. Middle infielders pulling the ball a lot to try and tap into whatever it might be, 15, 20 home run upside. Somebody who does not have to do that is Glaber Torres. His ADP is 92.6. He's the eighth second baseman off the board. After some weird years in 2020 and 2021, Glaber Torres has proven he's back to being a useful player in fantasy, has 24-plus homers in back-to-back years, has 10-plus deals, three years in a row, uh, made some huge strides in terms of plate discipline, a 10% walk rate last year to go along with a career best 14.6% strikeout rate. Will that maintain? Remains to be seen. The expected stats really like what Glaber Torres did last year, 282 XBA, 478 expected slug, and he got better in the second half where he hit the ball harder uh, and started pulling it more as well. Scott Glaber Torres entering his age 27 season. It's a contract year. For all the reasons I mentioned, it kind of feels like Glaber Torres is a second baseman to buy at his cost. Okay. I, I, I don't know. He doesn't really, in terms of overall output, he doesn't stand out to me from all the others going in this range. Uh, and, and so I, I group him in with that. Okay, what do you need most at this stage of the draft? If power is what you need most, Uh and, you know, you want somebody who's not going to kill you in stolen bases and batting average the way Nolan Gorman might, then I think Labor Torres is a fine pick in this range. I, I, don't, I don't see him being any better, really, than he was the last two years, hitting 257 to 273 with about 25 homers, about a dozen steals. But at this stage, you know, at, at this position, I, I think that's... I don't think there's anything wrong with that. So one thing with, with Glaber Torres, I, I was kind of shocked at how much I liked him once I started like digging in a little bit more. Um, did you realize his expected batting average last season was 10 points higher than Nico Horner's and I believe 15 points higher than Bryson Stott? He actually struck out, I believe, less often than... Let me get this right. I, I think he struck out less often than Bryson Stott, a little more often than Nico Horner. 14.6%. Yeah. Uh, 91st percent rate. 
he did that while also having the highest expected Woba on contact that he's had since 2019. So he cut his strikeout rate without having to sacrifice quality of contact. It's a one season sample size. So, you know, we talked about Matt Olson yesterday going from 17% strikeout rate to like 28% from one year to the next one. I'm not saying it's a sure thing, but if Glaber's increase improvements in contact rate last season sustain, I think he could hit 285. And I think he could hit 25 to 30 homers and steal 15 bases in a really good lineup. Like, I do think there is perhaps more upside in Glaber Torres' skill set than we've seen since 2019. I don't think he'll ever do that again. 38 homers, like that's... But I think he could be a legitimately borderline elite fantasy option. Like, if he had a a Marcus Simeon-esque season, it wouldn't really shock me. You see it in the run scored, Chris. 90 runs Mm -hmm. for Glaber last year. I think that was part of the improved plate discipline. And now, if this lineup gets to the point that we think it's going to, I don't want to jump the gun too too quickly because there's still a lot of risk in the Yankees lineup Mm -hmm. right now. But if they hit, you know, he's projected to bat fifth right now, then yeah, we could see a lot of counting stats from Glaber Torres here in 2024. After Glaber, we see two names going just outside the top 100, Cattell Marte and Bryson Stott. That's the round 9-10 range in a 12-team league. Cattell Marte, the ADP is 102.2, the ninth second baseman off the board. Reminded us what he's capable of when healthy. Hit 276 with 25 homers and an 844 OPS last year. Uh, Feels like somebody who might be a little better in head-to-head points leagues because of That great plate discipline does not strike out very much. 3.3 fantasy points per game last year. Cattell Marte hits the ball legit really hard, not just for second baseman. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing, StatCast does say that he overachieved last year and should we expect him to stay healthy? Cattell Marte played 150 games for just the second time in his career and he missed nearly 30% of his available games the previous three years, 2020 to 2022. Scott Cattell Marte feels like a player you buy low on when he's coming off an injury-plagued year or a letdown year. Maybe you sell high when he's coming off of one of these great years. What do you think? Well, the problem is that even during the not-so-great years, which are 2020 and 2022, so three of the last five years, great, two of them not-so-great. But even during the not-so-great ones, the underlying data has suggested he's a great player. Mm -hmm. And so I'm more inclined to believe the the great years for Cattell Marte. I think he's a great player. It's just a matter of, will he stay on the field? I think that's probably the bigger question. Looking at the numbers again, I feel like it's kind of the Spider-Man meme with Glaber Torres. I I actually prefer Cattell Marte to Torres because I think the batting average upside is higher. I mean, Chris made a pretty compelling case for the contrary, but, you know, two of those five years, two, two of the three great years, in that five-year span, Cattell Marte hit well over 300. Um, so I prefer him of those two. I think they're both, they both meet basically the same need Where when you're looking for needs in this range. Power with a dose of batting average. Um, yeah, I mean, that's basically, that basically sums it up. I, 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 I don't think he's being drafted quite at the level he performed at last year. So I'm not so scared of making that investment. I could tell Marte. I mean, he's definitely not being drafted. He he finished as the number 42 player in Roto Leagues last season. And 
it's what 102 in the fantasy pros ADP and NFC drafts NFBC is 118. So in some drafts, he's lasting until the 10th round. And I, that that's great value. I, I do wish he still had outfield eligibility. <laughs> it would, it would kind of make drafting him a little easier because you know, there's a, an okay chance that I already have a second baseman by this point, but yeah, I, I, I love Cattell Marte. He's, he's a great player. I'm, I'm, Happy that he stayed healthy. The 10th second baseman off the board is Bryson Stott with an ADP of 112.4. A breakout season for Stott came through on that prospect pedigree. He hit 280 with 15 homers and 31 steals. Makes a ton of contact, just a 15.6% strikeout rate. 31 steals supported by 88th percentile sprint speed. Incredibly even, even splits versus lefties and righties. For a young lefty, I mean, this is just something I love to see out of young left-handed bats. Being able to hit both lefties and righties, you don't have to worry about platoons, playing time, none of that. Feels like Nico Horner with a little bit more pop here. Um, the power metrics aren't great under the radar, but it's obviously a really good ballpark to hit in there in Citizens Bank. Uh, the only issue that I see is his spot in the lineup, currently projected to bet sixth, and I don't really see a way that Bryson Stott will move up without an injury to the Phillies lineup. So Chris, I like the player. Again, it kind of feels like Nico Horner with a little a little bit more pop, and you're getting him about 50, 60 picks later than where Nico Horner is going. To a certain extent, I get viewing him as a value. I can also, like, I guess if there's an injury to either Kyle Schwarber or Trey Turner, maybe Bryson Stott moves up in the lineup, but otherwise he feels pretty secure in the bottom third of that lineup. And, and you saw last year, it was 140 combined runs in RBI. For Nico Horner, it was what, 160, 150, 156. So, like, it's that, closer than you think. It is right? a little closer than you think because Horner was such a standout in runs and, and, you know, Bryce well, Horner, stopped, just back, Horner bats second, right? Yeah. And stop bat sixth. And they're 10 apart, 12 apart, four, 14 combined runs in RBI right. apart. I mean, there's a much there was twice as big a gap between Matt Olson and Freddie Freeman. I'll remind yeah. you. <clears throat> um, I and and look, I think Bryson Stott like ninety first ninety one percent success rate on steals. If you were looking for someone who could run even more than he did, I think it was thirty one yeah. of thirty four. I think so. That's an opportunity for growth there. the 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 thing with Bryson Stott for me at least is it felt like he probably hit something close to his ceiling as a hitter. Last season, like he, you know, you look at the spray chart and all of his home runs except for one are to the pull side. And so you think, oh, he must be in that same Marcus Simeon, Jose Altuve thing. 31% pull rate. He he goes the opposite way more than he. And now, obviously, that, you know, could be more balls on the ground the opposite way, which can boost Babip. And, and that's not a bad thing necessarily. But it just, it doesn't strike me as a, the 15 home runs in particular feel like a ceiling. And so, you know, if he hits more like 270 and he hits 12 home runs and he drives in 50 runs and he like it just you can start to chip away pretty quickly and get Bryson Stott, I think, to sort of also ran territory at second base. And this is what I'm talking about, Chris, where, again, it's like if you look hard enough, you're going to find things that are wrong with these players now. He's going outside the top 100, so it's not like he's, you know, an early round pick. So a lot of players... There's a reason he's not in my bus column, despite the fact that I, you know, tend to be pretty low on him. I do think he can run a little bit more, too. It would Mm -hmm. not surprise me if we get 40 steals, but yeah, it's 
probably more of a 10 to 12 home run profile that we're looking at with Bryson Stott. Let's take our final break. When we return, we have two more players here in the top 12, Andres Jimenez and Luisa Rise. We'll do that right after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome back in second base ADP, the 11th second baseman off the board, Andres Jimenez, 123.6 is the ADP, a tale of two seasons for Jimenez. The first three months were quite bad, but from July 1st on, he hit 261 with 10 homers, 22 steals, and a 749 OPS. He wound up with a career-high 30 steals on the season, supported by 93rd percentile sprint speed. We always thought that he was capable of running more. I Technically, still think he could run even more than he did last year. Uh, definitely some volatility in the profile. Andres Jimenez chases pitches outside the strike zone a lot. Nearly a 43% chase rate last year. 41.6% for his career. Quality of contact declined drastically from 2022 to 2023. Scott, what are your thoughts on uh, Andres Jimenez and maybe just the Guardians in general? How much will they run? Because they do have a new manager in Steven Vogt. You know, Terry Francona was there for so long. I'm not sure anyone knows, but I've, I've been trying to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, I, I, stolen base analysis is, like I said earlier, it's really tricky at a time like this because I, I think I think teams are still still learning as they go. I think players are still learning as they go. Uh, that, you know, for, for so long, it was considered a... Too risky, not worth the reward to steal. But with all the advantages baked in last year, introduced to the league last year, the math has changed on that, and now it's considered advantageous to steal. And that's why we saw a 40% increase from one year to the next, most stolen bases across the league since 1987. 87, I said. And I think Jimenez exemplifies this about as well as any player. I mentioned how Hassan Kim upped his steals production over the course of last year. Jimenez, even more drastically, eight of his 30 steals in the first three months, 22 of his 30 steals in the final three months. And I could certainly work it out in my head that, okay, he was getting used to this new environment. There was a learning curve for how to take advantage of it, and he started to take advantage of it. And I kind of wonder if across the league we're going to see stolen bases increase again next year because of that league-wide effect of uh oh we know how to we know how to really take advantage of these two pickoff limits now we can we can go even crazier on the bases and so we've already seen I that I think on, we will personally yeah we've already seen that on a smaller scale with Jimenez and that's why 
I mean, it's kind of why, to, to a certain extent, I'm not as down on Stott and maybe not on Ha-Sung Kim as you guys. Because, like, I just think they're going to run so much that for the cost here, going outside the top 100, uh, in Jimenez's case, same with uh, Stott. Is, is right around 120. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, I, he'll probably hit 12 to 15 homers, the batting average. I would I would take the over if we're setting the over under at the 250 he just hit. I would take the over. I don't know that he's going to hit 297 again, but I you know I think I think there's a lot more good than bad to be had here at this price. And, and I'll just say the biggest difference between under Semenes and and Nico Horner and, and Hasan Kim and you know Bryson Stott to a to lesser extent just because of the price is fairly similar, but the biggest difference is those guys hit 270, 280 last year, and Andres Jimenez hit 251. And we know batting average is a skill. Players own their skill. But what players tend to own is a wide range that their skill set can allow them to hit. And I really don't think Andres Jimenez is going to flirt with 300 again. But if he's the same exact player but hits 270, it shouldn't be surprising at all. If Nico Horner's the same guy as last year and he hits 270, it shouldn't be surprising at all. That's just how batting average works, even though I do think Nico Horner's skill set is better suited for batting average than Andres Menez. It just, if the biggest difference is batting average, and obviously counting stats, although that's influenced heavily by batting average, take the cheaper guy who does a lot of the same things, you know? Yeah, I mean, the one thing I would point out is that the expected batting averages for Andres Jimenez, according to StatCast, have also yes. been pretty bad. I mean, consi- Much worse, yeah. consistently under 260. So, I, you know, I'd probably expect somewhere in like the 250 to 260 range. But, yeah, look, he has the talent to run wild if he really mm-hmm. wants to. It's just a matter of uh, will he do that here in 2024. Luis Arise is the last of the top 12. The ADP is 130. The National League batting champ hit 354 last year. He cleared Acuna by 17 points worth of batting average. How did he do it? Somehow he became much more aggressive, yet he lowered his strikeout rate to 5.5%, which was by far the best in baseball. Jeff McNeil was second at 10%. Outside of the batting average, here's the problem. You don't get much else. 10 home runs, 69 RBI were both career highs for Arise, but very clearly not helpful. He hit 314 in the second half, 326 for his career. Chris, it feels like we should expect something in that range, 315 to 325, mm-hmm. which is still a standout, but Arise doesn't do much el- much more outside of that. I think he's probably a solid head-to-head points player and a really, really specific player uh, a specific build player in, in, a, in a roto categories league. Yeah, like if you took Freddie Freeman and Rafael Devers in the first two rounds, do not you, even look at this guy. And you didn't, yeah, and you didn't take Kyle Schwarber later. Let's say Luis Arias is just completely off your draft board because he's not going to fit your team. If you took Mookie Bet, who's the the biggest batting average risk in the first round? Maybe Mookie Betts after hitting two sixty two years in a row before last year, but maybe Fernando Tatis, one of those guys. And you took Matt Olson, who's got some batting average risk. And then you took like, then yeah, Luis Arias is the, not just a batting average specialist. He's by far the most helpful player in batting average because he never walks. So he's going to have huge at bat totals in addition to being a, a supreme source of batting average. But the other thing to keep in mind is last year, according to Fangraph's auction calculator tool, he was worth $15.4 last season. 
13.9 of that was batting average. He is basically a replacement level player at home runs, runs, RBI, and steals. And so if he hits 320, you're probably still looking at a $7 player, but that's a big difference than a $15 player. And, and it's a lot less helpful. So yeah, there's a reason Luis Arias won a batting title in 2022 and was a fringe fantasy option. Yes. He's a career. So, so he hit 354 last year. Mm-hmm. which brought his career average up to 326. It was around 315 before then, I think. In the second half last year, he hit 314. 314, yeah. In my entire time watching baseball, we're talking a 30-year history of watching baseball, I think I can only think of two players who could hit mid-300s with regularity. Tony Gwynn and Ichiro Suzuki. I, I guess maybe some of those Rockies hitters in the pre-Humidor days, like Larry Wall. players who played real baseball. It's been a couple decades since we've had any of them. I, I don't think Luis Arise is going to reverse that trend. And I think Ichiro is a good example. Here's his year. Like, Luis Arise is a great hitter. He's not Ichiro. And here's right. Ichiro's yearly batting average. 350, 321, 312, 372, 303, 322, 351, 310, 352, 315. That's the entirety of his prime. It's really hard to hit 350 every year. Everything has to go right. Pretty much everything went right. I will point out, Luis Arias did have a little bit of a power surge at the end of last season. He had five home runs in September. I think he had seven of his 10 home runs in the second half. Make of that what you will. I think it's probably nothing, but I just want to throw it out there. Uh, Pay no attention to the hat I'm wearing. If he hit 320 with 15 home runs and a little bit more counting stats, then yeah, that that actually would go a long way. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, outside of, I guess, that final month, maybe a little bit of the second half, we really haven't seen much evidence yeah, that that, no track record there. that will happen for Luis Arise. Sleepers, breakouts, and busts, and favorite to draft at second base. Scott, you can kick us off here. A sleeper at second base. Okay. This is a guy we haven't talked about yet. It's Brandon Lau. And yeah. The the only reason I'm really inclined to call him a sleeper is just because nobody seems to want to draft him. And I'm a little perplexed by it. Uh, he's, uh, according to Fantasy Pros, he's the 280th player drafted on it's average. ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, I, we've had roto mocks, you know, with the extra middle infield spot. We, we've had roto mocks end with Brandon Lau undrafted. We weren't drafting for bench spots, it's worth pointing out, but still, like, he seems like a cinch pick for a middle infield spot. And I, I, whenever I see it happen, I'm like kicking myself that I filled my middle infield spot if, if I knew Brandon Lau could be there with my last pick. Cause he's still among the best bets for home runs on a pizza. Like, if you give everybody an equal number of at bats, I think you take low. Over everyone, right? Maybe Mookie, Nolan Gorman? Mookie Betts and Nolan yeah. Gorman, maybe, are the only two that are in the conversation there for home runs. And in, in 109 games last year, Brandon Lau hit 21 home runs. And he had seven steals, too, I'll point out. The at-bats are an issue. Mm-hmm. He's had back issues in, the, in recent years. He plays for Tampa Bay, who moves guys in and out of the lineup constantly. I get that. 
But he's one of the most proven hitters on Tampa Bay. He, he's somebody who tends to play more regularly than most of their players when he's healthy. And I think for an, the your for your last round pick potentially, there's nothing but upside there, and it's it's big upside. Here's his per six, per one sixty two average over the past five seasons: two forty six batting average, thirty five homers, ninety six RBI, ninety three runs, eight steals. That's a top six player at the position. If he stays healthy, it's a massive if there is zero risk involved in drafting Brandon Lau. Uh, I'm I'm right there with you on him as a, a sleeper. The ADP for Brandon Lau, 306.8. Scott pointed out the 280th player off the board. The ADP this time last year, 159. So you're getting a massive discount on mm-hmm. Brandon Lau. Scott, uh, Chris, a sleeper for you. Yeah, Brandon Lau was on my list. I like the guy that's, that Frank's going to say, but I'll go with Gavin Lux for the sake of mentioning a name that we have not mentioned because he also went to driveline last year with Mookie Betts. That was a, an organizational decree that they they do that. And according to the reports, Gavin Lux added like six miles per hour to his bat speed and and seemed primed for a big season. And then he tore his ACL in spring training, never got the opportunity. But this is a guy before the injury was 89th percentile on sprint speed, had good plate discipline, just one, hadn't shown the ability to hit lefties, and two, just hadn't really developed the way we wanted to as a hitter overall. But he's another guy who's basically free, Gavin Lux. I I think there's potential for him to be a contributor in stolen bases. I think he could surprise people as a hitter. He might be in a platoon to open the season. It's not really clear what the playing time is going to look like, but Gavin Lux is, I think, outside the top 300. And now he's 262 in NFC ADP. So, so is it? Because because I've gotten some heat on Twitter. Ah, why are you not talking up Gavin Lux? And I'm like, his career high in home runs is seven. His career high in mm-hmm. stolen bases is seven. What what is is it? So is it really just like drive line, drive line match? Well, it's also progression. A little post type sleeper appeal too. It's a guy who was one of one of the most hyped prospect. You, yeah, yeah, one of the most hyped <laughs> prospects a few years ago. Has had. I mean, how how many? He's only really been a full time player once, right? Like 2021, he's, he's I think had, he got sent he's down. Had two years with over yeah. 300 at bats. Yes, and that's a lot, but not. It's not enough for me to write him off entirely. Look, we're talking. I like Brandon Lau more. I like Von Grissom more, but yeah, I, I do think if you're looking for a a late round post type sleeper to stash on your bench, who could emerge as a useful multi category contributor, I think Gavin Lux is a good one to target. There is a legit base of skills there, Chris. The plate discipline you mentioned is good. He's fast. If he can improve that bat speed and tap into like, can he go 15-15 with a Mm -hmm. solid batting average and good OBP? I mean, in that Dodgers lineup, that'll play as a player who's going outside the top 300. But again, you are, you know, baking in uh, progression there for Gavin Lux to get Mm -hmm. to that point. Sleeper for me, kind of cheating. Again, like I did at catcher, I chose Henry Davis. He doesn't have catcher eligibility. The pick for me is Vaughn Grissom, who is shortstop only to start. He will gain second base eligibility, expected to play second base for the Red Sox. That's right. He came over in the Chris Sale train. Great ballpark to hit in as a right-handed batter. The third best park for uh, right-handed hitters, according to StatCast Park Factors. If you remember 51 games back in 2022, 
Grissom was arguably a league winner. He hit 291, five homers, five steals, and he's had a really good minor league career as a hitter. How much, how well he'll do defensively, I guess that remains to be seen, but career 320 hitter with an 884 OPS in the minors had the prospect pedigree. Now he's just going to be unleashed and play every day. I absolutely love it. If you look at the ADP over at the NFBC since January 1st, which I think is right around when the trade happened, 241. Mm -hmm. I still really like that price tag for Vaughn Grissom. Are we going to talk about him at shortstop since that's where he's eligible? Because I'll save what I want to say until then if we are. Let's save it for then because we got to keep things moving. Scott, give me a uh, breakout at second base. Uh, this is uh, this is the one I'm least confident in. This one legitimately, I think it's tough to have a breakout at second base. Yeah. I'm going to go with Davis Schneider, which is <laughs> it's kind of weird to go with an even lower end breakout than your your sleeper. Great, you know, great mustache. Now. Yeah, I look, he came up after a strong performance at AAA Buffalo and pretty much did the same things for the big club. 276 batting average, eight home runs in 35 games. So, so he slashed 276, 404, 603. And, and the, the, the power and the on-base skills are what stand out most for Davis Schneider. And it's that pull side power that so, – so, you know, he optimizes his power with his, the, way the, the way he delivers the ball off the bat versus – like so the angle he hits the ball at as opposed to how hard he hits the ball. But it's a trick that – We've seen him pull off at a couple different levels, and including the highest one now. I, I don't know what the playing time is going to look like. I don't think... I mean, I do think he's the Blue Jays' best option at second base. It doesn't mean they'll play him every day there. Um, but, you know, we're talking about another guy who can get essentially for free, and I think uh, I think the upside is being overlooked. Chris, a breakout at second base. I understand why... Matt McLean goes, what is it, 80 spots ahead of Zach Geloff, but I don't know if there's as much separating their skill sets as that. Obviously, McLean plays in a much better ballpark, but Geloff's 150 game pace after getting called up 87 runs, 70 RBI, 30 homers, 30 steals, and a 267 batting average. Okay, the, the underlying skill set doesn't necessarily back that up. 333 expected Woba is not terrible especially for a guy with that kind of athleticism who, as we've mentioned many times, hits the ball to the pull side quite often when he hits it into the air. And so I think, you know, Zach Galloff is someone, I think 169 games between double A AA and triple A also 30, 30. Like th- this is, this is a pace that he has maintained from the, from double A all the way through the majors. Maybe he can't keep it up, but I feel like the the prospect industrial complex might have missed on Zach Galloff, and that's just being held against him. Like he doesn't have the prospect pedigree, but the production profile is very strong. Each of his average exit velocity, Zach Galloff, average exit velocity, barrel rate, and sprint speed were all higher than Matt McClain. Mm-hmm. The biggest difference that I noticed, you mentioned the team context, obviously the ballpark. Those are huge factors. The plate discipline under the hood Pretty damn scary with Geloff, too. 16% swinging strike rate Mm -hmm. and a 75% zone contact rate. I mean, these are things that could 
completely plummet a player. Like yeah, I mentioned McLean's. I think yeah. his was like eighty percent in zone contact rate. So Geloff even worse, eighty five percent. So that's a massive, massive difference. Yeah, yeah but a lot of strikeouts from McLean. Dif- different kind, different measures of plate discipline, I guess. Yeah, yeah. it just. Reading that swinging striker, it just feels like one of those things could, that could well, really, really bottom mm-hmm. out. But should again, should they go 80 picks apart? I'm not so sure. Yeah, either. that's the thing. And I'll, I'll go ahead and take some time to talk about Geloff here because he's the second baseman I draft the most. I had to save him for that category, so I couldn't use him for sleepers or breakouts. But yeah, the in terms of expected production, it for me, it's very similar between, mm-hmm. um, between Matt McClain and Zach Geloff. And I was harping down the stretch last year. Look at that end zone contact rate. Uh, look at the exit velocity readings. This guy can't keep it up. And he just kept it up and made a believer out of me, I guess, surpassing all the people who were criticizing me for criticizing Kelloff. I don't know. Power, speed, yes, some plate discipline concerns like McLean has. You know? Different kind, like I said, but it's it's... The same strengths, strengths and weaknesses, basically. Mm-hmm. Worse venue, worse supporting cast, but better job security for Geloff. And the production was pretty much, you know, right there for both of them. So I, I'll take Geloff 80 picks later, and he's the second baseman I'm drafting most often. Zach Geloff, the ADP 141.4 as the 13th second baseman off the board. A quick breakout for me. Not overly confident in this one either. But Nolan Gorman, an interesting player, last year hit 27 homers with seven steals, a lower batting average, kind of fits that mold, that that slugger type, a Max Muncie, a, a Kyle Schwarber type. Uh, but StatCast standout, 91 mile per hour average exit velocity, 16.5% barrel rate, 97th percentile. He is a legit slugger. He improved against left-handed pitching. He was actually better against lefties than he was against righties mm-hmm. last year. He's dealt with some injuries. He's been dealing with a back thing ever since a weightlifting incident that he had back in 2020, but was reading some articles about how he's changed his nutrition this offseason in, in hopes of lessening inflammation in his back. So it's something that he knows that he needs to improve and fix, and he's young enough. He's got that prospect pedigree. If he stays on the field for 140, 150 games, I think we could get 35 homers, six to eight steals, something like that. I mean... Big prospect pedigree. I I think we could get a big season here coming from Nolan Gorman. Let's go over to Bust. Chris, we'll start with you this time. Who is a uh, second baseman you're avoiding? I don't think we need to spend too much time on it, but Hassan Kim, we've already talked about it. I don't buy the improvements as a hitter. Uh, If he steals 38 bases again or something like that, it probably doesn't matter too much, but there's a chance he's only a stolen base contributor this season, and and that's a little scary for a top 85 pick. Scott, a bust for you. I mean, my pick is Ha-Sung Kim, too. I don't feel good about it because I, I find I'm drafting him pretty often, especially if he lasts beyond Bryson Stott and Andres Jimenez. But he's the most logical pick to bust at this position. I agree. I think he's overvalued. But the one I'll choose is Luis Arise, the ADP at 130. I, I just can't imagine a scenario where I'm drafting him. Definitely not in a categories league at that point. And he averaged three fantasy points per game last year, but he had to hit 354 to accomplish that. So if he hits 315, 320, what are we looking at? 2.7, 2.8 fantasy points per game. I don't know that he's going to be a standout there. I really don't think he should be going inside the top 150. That is Luis Arise. Favorite to draft, Scott, you mentioned it was Zach Geloff for you. Chris, who are some names that you target at second base? 
Glaber Torres, Catal Marte, and Nolan Gorman. Kind of depends on what my team needs, but yeah. For me, I really want to get one of those top four second basemen. That's kind of a cop-out. I, I don't want to choose a top player at every position. Oh, Mookie Betts? <laughs> yeah, I would love to get Mookie Betts. Why not? <laughs> um, Jose Altuve, based on ADP, I mean, he's going the last of that group. I, I think I'm going to have a lot of Altuve. And Glaber Torres, that's right. Give me, give me the homer tag, whatever it might be. Doesn't provide the speed as other second basemen do, but... I like the expected stats from last year. I like the improvements. I like the contract year, improvements in the lineup, 25-plus homers. I think he's just a solid, you know, jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type player, Glaber Torres at second base. Let's get back into ADP. We left off with Luis Arise. Uh, Zach Giloff is the 13th second baseman. We spoke about him, which brings us to number 14 on the list, Tyro Estrada, a name we have not talked about yet. The ADP is 165.6. And I was definitely skeptical last offseason, but then here he came. Estrada just came back, performed nearly as good. In fact, he was a little bit better in 2023. Two years in a row, hitting 260 or better, exactly 14 homers, 21-plus steals each of those seasons. Uh, like we said about many second basemen, Estrada's stat cast data looks very bad. All 14 of his home runs were to the pull side. Around a 48% pull rate, he gets the most out of you know pulling the ball and uh, just kind of squeezes that power out for you know as much as he can possibly do. Uh, did all of these things despite dealing with multiple injuries last year. It feels like there's this mold again: twelve to fifteen homers, twenty-five plus steals, whatever it might be. And Estrada's going among the latest. Uh, I mean, should he be included in that group in that tier? You know, we talked about it a little bit on the tiers episode, Scott. Uh, what do you think about Tyro Estrada? in that similar mold as like a Andres Jimenez or maybe even a Bryson Stott. I, I feel like he's the fallback option for that group mm -hmm. because the overall profile is similar, but I put Tyro Estrada at more like 25 steals when I put those other three at more like 35 steals. And that's the biggest difference, 10 steals. So I think those other three are affordable enough that I'm usually not waiting around for Estrada. Someone else who has a similar skill set here, Chris, is Tommy Edmond, the ADP right after Estrada. 166.2 is the 15th second baseman off the board. Edmond has had three really similar years in a row mm -hmm. between 11 and 13 homers, 27 to 32 steals, between a 250 and 265 batting average. The biggest difference for him now is that the counting stats, because he's moved down in the lineup. Mm -hmm. He went from 86 games batting leadoff in 2022 to just 42 last year. Most of Edmund's starts actually came while batting ninth. I think it was 56 of his starts came batting ninth in that lineup. On top of that, he also had off-season wrist surgery. The team says that they're, quote, hopeful for the start of spring training. So something to monitor, just kind of in the mm -hmm. back of my mind, worries me a little bit. But uh, do you have any interest here, Chris, on Tommy Edmund? I mean, sure. It's just a cheaper variation on that profile. Now, if he's not healthy by the start of spring training and, and you know, there are ways that things can go wrong. And, you know, you see the drop from 95 runs in 2022 to 69 last year. 16 fewer games doesn't explain that. Only 112 combined or 116 combined runs in RBI last season. Even if you bump that up, it's probably still pretty replacement level production across those two. So it it's kind of just hoping he hits 270, hoping he hits 15 home runs and should steal 30 bases. It's a poor man's version of the Hassan Kim, Bryson Stott profile. But if you want that profile and you want to focus on other things early, 
you know, Tommy Edmonds, a very reasonable fallback. And he might be the last one, at least based on ADP, that will provide that specific yeah. skill set. 12 to 15 homers, 25 plus deals with a batting average that doesn't kill you. So keep that in mind if you want a player like that. I spoke about Nolan Gorman as a breakout. His ADP is 196.2, 16th second baseman off the board. Anything you guys would like to add on Nolan Gorman? Post-All-Star break, only 48 games, so we don't know how much to take from it. It was a 40-homer pace. Like He might just be a cheaper Max Muncy or a cheaper... You know, kind of poor man's second base version of Kyle Schwarber. Like there, there's, it's not unreasonable given the quality of contact that he could find himself in that kind of company. Also, he sat a lot against left-handers last year. It was good against um, them. Small sample, eighty-six plate appearances, but yeah, his numbers were actually better against lefties than righties. Yeah. Look, it's a, a specific player, specific build. Obviously, he doesn't mm-hmm. give you really any speed at all, and it's a lower batting average. But man, if you need a middle infielder and pop at this point in the draft, I mean, bordering on pick 200, that seems like a really, yeah. really good get there. Yeah, I think the value is great. Jonathan India is next up. The ADP is 212.8, the 17th second baseman off the board. He did put up 17 homers and 14 seals in just 119 games. Was never really the same after the Reds started calling up uh, some of the kids, some of the prospects on that team. They dropped India down to the middle of the lineup. 48 games from June 1st to the end of July before he got hurt. India hit 216 with nine homers and four steals. He was selling out for power. He's hitting more fly balls. Maybe he felt some pressure, you know, hitting in the middle of the lineup, but... He talked about that. Yeah. He, He talked about how how his timeline was so different from the teams and how they kind of pushed him to the side too. Like, yeah, no, he he was, he was pretty, I think he was pretty candid about like, he felt like he was in a weird spot last season. Mm -hmm. Jonathan India. Look, he solid plate discipline. He doesn't chase pitches. The problem here, Scott, he doesn't really have any standout skills. Where is he going to play? Does he play every day? I mean, just more of the same questions with Cincinnati Reds players. The difference, he is going Mm -hmm. much later. I do think it's worth noting Jonathan India 3.06 points per games per points per game last year 3.06 that's more than Luisa Rise, Bryson Stott, Hassan Kim, Glaber Torres. He was, you know, a better points league player always has been, but the profile depends in large part on volume and you can't count on the volume being there. And even if he gets traded, you know, he's not going to be able to take advantage of great American mm-hmm. ballpark anymore. So I I could make a bust case for Jonathan India. It's just that the price is already so low. It kind of feels like what's the point. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'd be shocked if I drafted him at all this year. Yeah. I think a lot of people feel that way, Chris, and that's why the ADP is outside the yeah. top 200 on Jonathan India. Let's did talk- you skip a player in ADP here? Uh, I might have. Who did I skip? Edward Julian? No, no. I have him uh, at 241.2. He was next up, Scotty. Okay, I don't know why it's showing up reversed in mine. But okay, let's talk about Edward Julian then, huh? Let's talk about him. The 18th second baseman off the board. What an interesting player. I've made pros and cons. Let's start with the pros. Ridiculous eye at the plate. A 381 on base percentage and 839 OPS as a rookie. That's awesome. Hit a ton of line drives nearly 26% of the time. 13% barrel, barrel rate ranked third among qualified second baseman last year. The cons. A 31% strikeout rate. 50% ground ball rate. And while he has a great eye at the plate, I would argue that Edouard Julian is too passive. I mean, this is 
Kevin Biggio-esque passivity and plate discipline from years ago. Uh, was also really bad against lefties on a team that loves to platoon their players. So, Scott, I have no idea what to do with Edward Julian. <laughs> I want to love Edward Julian because he is, I, last year, I too many times probably, I called him the French emperor of walks, throwback to Kevin Euclid's Greek god of walks from Moneyball. Uh, and he, as you said, maybe a little too passive, but he got on base a ton. For the Twins, he he batted leadoff against righties, and now that they've traded away Jorge Polanco, it seems like he might play against lefties as well. He hits the ball plenty hard. Um, not insanely hard, but for a second baseman, he hits it pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Ground ball rate is insanely high. The strikeout rate, very high. And, you know, for having s- such a high ground ball rate, okay, maybe he optimizes his the few fly balls he hits by yanking him to to right field no he he hits everything to the opposite field Mm -hmm. in there the power production was fine considering i I don't know if that's something that can sustain for julian he hit for plenty of power in the minors so maybe maybe he's just this unicorn in that way uh but i'm i'm pumping the brakes for as much as i hyped him last year i'm hitting the brakes right now because it's just such an odd profile all around i'm reluctant to to make any bold proclamations about it. I, I'd be fine. Anybody who wanted to call him a sleeper, I mm-hmm. might draft him late as a middle infielder in some leagues, but I really don't know what to expect. I, I think he might be better in real life than fantasy. I, I think that's my concern here, but daily leagues, OP, OBP leagues, they starts to get a lot more interesting. I think in both. Yeah, for sure. Anyone who plays in a category league with OBP, just remember that name, Edouard Julian, because he is going to be a standout in that category. Chris, two names who I think will offer similar skill sets, or hopefully, I mean, projecting on Colt Keith because we don't know exactly what he's going to do yet. But Brandon Drury, and again, the aforementioned Colt Keith, I think they're guys that could hit 250 to 260, maybe 20 to 25 home runs. Brandon Drury is kind of just like the ultimate boring player, but I mean, if you're looking for a little bit of pop at middle infield, he also has first base eligibility. He's basically done the same thing two years in a row. And I think his price has gone down since last year, which is kind of funny. Yeah, it was, you know, everybody was very skeptical of what he did when he was with the Reds in 2022. And then, you know, lo and behold, he kind of had a similar season in 2023. So, yeah, I, I think he's a, a perfectly viable middle infield option. If he's your starting second baseman, things are probably going pretty poorly for you in your draft. But <laughs> I, I think Brandon Drury is a, a really nice value where he's going. I, I don't see much in the underlying numbers to suggest there's growth coming, but I also don't think what he's done the last two years is wholly unsustainable either. So I, I like him. Cole Keith. I mean, the big power breakout last season, 27 homers between double A and triple A hit 306 doesn't have really concerning strikeout trends and he's only 21. You know, that's that's something or or was only 21 for most of last season. You talk about like Matt McClain and and Zach Galloff and those like those guys are all two or three years older than Colt Keith, who hasn't made his major league debut yet. So that's something to keep in mind when it comes to these prospects who are performing at the high level uh, in the minors, doing it at 24 is a lot different than doing it at 21. Quick note and, on Keith. Oh, sorry. Yep. I thought you were done. No, Quick go for note it. on Keith. 
he will be third base only to mm-hmm. begin the year and it, on CBS. Expected to play second base for the Tigers, but you can't actually draft him to fill a middle infield spot right away. That's exactly right. Six second basemen between picks 280 and 300. Whip Merrifield, who remains a free agent, also has outfield eligibility. Jeff McNeil, another one with outfield eligibility. Ryan McMahon, Jorge Polanco, who was traded to the Mariners last week. Luis Renjifo, who has... Four different eligibilities, second, third, shortstop, outfield, and finally, Jake Cronenworth. Oh, Scott, there's lots of names here. Six names, uh-huh. Cronenworth, Franjifo, Polanco, McMahon, McNeil, Merrifield. We're talking deep league middle infielders at this point, but does anybody stand well, out to you? Uh, the one who's not like the others is Jorge Polanco. I'm, I'm surprised how late he's going. Maybe we haven't adjusted yet for him being freed. With that trade to the Mariners, doesn't have to doesn't have to be a super utility guy anymore. Can just be their true second baseman, and he has remained on a per game basis as productive as he ever was. Now you have to say per game basis because he's missed a lot of time to injuries, kind of Brandon Lau like in that way. But uh, you know, thirty three homers in one hundred fifty two games in twenty twenty one, sixteen homers in one hundred four games in twenty twenty two, fourteen homers in eighty games last year. That's Similar pace, uh, 25 to 30 homers if he stays healthy, I think is within the realm of possibility for Jorge, for Jorge Polanco. And I consider him something of a sleeper at the, this position in that range. Among the others, you know, you see some category specialists here. Jeff McNeil could be a cheap source of batting average, not much else. Whit Merrifield, a cheap source of steals. We'll see where he signs if he gets regular playing time. And then McMahon... McMahon and a guy we just talked about a minute ago, Brandon Drury, they both strike me as players who are, you could feel really good about having as a starter in a 15-team Roto League. Mm-hmm. But if it's a 12-team Roto yeah. League, you're going to be looking to upgrade. Yeah, yeah. they just feel but, like kind of boring guys, Drury and McMahon. If you play in only league, AL or NL only, those guys are going to play. I, I will say just about McMahon, like, you know, we're talking about a lot of guys here who like if they hit 150 combined runs in RBI, that's probably a success. McMahon, I, I think my expectation is probably 150 to 160. He plays so, every day. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's, you know, in a daily league where you get to only play him at home, it, it's a lot nicer. But yeah, I, I I think Ryan McMahon is probably undervalued in drafts and then he'll be the, you know, number 20 second baseman or whatever it is once the season actually starts. Three second baseman between picks 300 and 325. Brandon Lau, Gavin Lux, we spoke about both of those. Jordan Westberg also has third base eligibility. Prospect with the Orioles got called up last year. Small sample, hit 260 with three homers and four steals. We were talking beforehand, Chris, and mm-hmm. there's some interesting things there, man. He hits the ball hard, Westberg does. 88th percentile sprint speed. Put up some big numbers in the minors. If the Orioles just unleash this kid and let him play, I, man, I, I do think that there's some upside here with him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you look at what he did at, at AAA, and obviously the caveat I just put out about age matters because he was 24 the entirety of last season. But he's played 158 games at AAA. He's hit 283 with 36 home runs and 15 stolen bases. So... It's, that's a profile worth getting excited about at this point in the draft. 
You know why I can't get excited about Westberg? Why? He's a Camden righty Yards. in Camden Yards. That's Camden right. Yards just kills him. If, if Ryan Mountcastle can't hack it there, then I don't think Jordan Westberg's going to. Nah. Way to rain on the parade, Scott Nuts. It's a fair point. I mean, the cost is very low, but it's, yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical. Three going between picks 325 and 350. Brendan, Brendan Donovan, who also has outfield eligibility, Old friend Miguel Vargas, way down there. Not sure what to expect at this point. And Ahmed Rosario, who has shortstop eligibility as well, remains a free agent. Scott, we're uh, we're getting into it now. Brendan Donovan, Miguel Vargas, Ahmed Rosario. Uh, Brendan Donovan feels like a kind of a points league specialist. It'd have to be a deeper points league, but he's versatile and he has a good walk at strikeout to walk ratio. Yeah, I, I don't have that much more to say about the rest of this group. And we're right at the time limit here. We'll see where Ahmad, Ahmed Rosario signs, but he hasn't lived up to his stolen base potential yet. I'm not sure why that would change. Six names between 350 and 400. There's so many second basemen. Uh, <laughs> Mauricio Dubon, Geraldo Perdomo, Josh Rojas, Bryce Tarang, Brendan Rogers, Luis Garcia. Chris, you get this fantastic group. If Bryce Terang ended up being uh, a cheap imitation of Nico Horner, it wouldn't shock me. You know, there's 35 stolen base potential there. The quality of contact last year was so, so, so bad for Bryce Terang in the majors that it kind of makes it hard to expect anything from him. But it's not impossible that he hits 265 and then steals 25 to 30 bases. Yeah, at I, this point, I'd rather have Joey Ortiz than Bryce Terang, though. That's the thing. Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think Terang. Well, the way that things are constituted right now, it's probably Terang at second, Adamas at short, Joey Ortiz at third. Mm-hmm. I think. Do they trade Adamas? I think that's possible. Yeah. We'll but, see what kind of spring Tyler Black has to see if he can. Yeah, that's fair. Inter intercept one of those spots. Uh, speaking of Joey Ortiz, Scott, is he? Only second base to start the year? Yep. Yep. Oh, all right. Well, he, but he's Joseph Ortiz. Definitely mm. should have been on this list somewhere then. Was traded to the Brewers in well, the uh, Corbin Burns trade last His week. ADP is like outside the top 600, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. That is going to That's going to 715 change. in NFBC yeah. drafts right now. That is going to change. Uh, look, if they give him an opportunity to play, some somebody to watch in spring training, but a little power, a little speed. Scott mentioned last week, good exit velocities there from Joey Ortiz. He's a name to watch for sure. Three names outside the top 400. Michael Massey, David Schneider, Nicky Lopez. We're not going to talk about any of those. Wow, Schneider's that low? Outside God. the top 400. Yeah. That's Scott's they point. Hate, they hate your sleeper, Scott. They're, no, or your, my your breakout. breakout. That's Excuse me. <laughs> How dare they? Uh, but yeah, we're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. And we'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount+. Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. Magnificent! And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount+. Plus.